Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Remember, it is an election year in Michigan this year, and at WDET, we want to make sure we are giving you all of the coverage that you want. So if you go to WDET.org, our website, there's a short survey there asking you about the things that you want us to focus on in 2018, the stories that you think will help you make better decisions at the ballot box. If you take that short survey in a few months, you'll start to see those choices reflected in the coverage that we offer. Also, I am in Tampa, Florida today as part of the AWP Writing Conference. I'm presenting on the Tuxedo Project, which is the nonprofit that I run in west side of Detroit in the home that I was born in over there. Uh, I want to thank the folks at WUSF here in Tampa, Florida for setting me up to be able to do the show. So I'm there with you in Detroit, at least in voice. All right. Up front, 50 years ago, the Kerner Commission appointed by then President Lyndon B. Johnson drafted a major report on the systemic and social factors that contributed to the civil unrest in Detroit in the summer of 1967. The series of recommendations from the Kerner Commission were stark. They said that if housing and education and employment and media discrimination didn't change dramatically for the better, the country would be doomed to a cycle of untenable inequality. To put it succinctly, the report stated, our nation is moving toward two societies, one black, one white, separate and unequal. President Johnson had little appetite to push for more policy changes beyond the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act, which he'd already signed under significant pressure from the civil rights movement. And so the Kerner Commission recommendations were printed off in paperback and pretty much relegated to a fate of collecting dust on a shelf. If bold policies had been enacted or sought in Congress, what might our country look like today? And what might the progressive wing of our democratic system be fighting for 50 years after 1967 if those recommendations had been taken to heart? That's where we're going to start the conversation today. And we want to start it with someone who's spent a lot of time looking at how the Kerner Commission unfolded, how its recommendations were received, and the things that happened and didn't happen over the next 50 years. Stephen Gillen is a history professor at the University of Oklahoma with an expertise in American history and politics. He's the author of Separate and Unequal, the Kerner Commission and the Unraveling of American Liberalism. Stephen, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Steve. Nice to be with you. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I want to start with the title of your of your of your book because I think it's quite foreboding, uh, but it also I think pretty wonderfully puts uh, the the Kerner Commission and uh, its uh, recommendations and the response to those recommendations in a bigger sort of narrative arc than we typically think about them. This idea of connecting uh, the commission and its work with the unraveling of American liberalism. Let's start by having you explain what you mean by that and how you think we live with that reality today. Well, you start off with a really tough question, uh, but uh, <laughs> let me try to answer it. I, it's, it's what I was uh, struck by in uh, doing the research into the debates among the commissioners and also the, the tension between Johnson and, and the commission itself, is that what you see 
in the commission on the commission itself among the different groups the uh, the same fault lines that are emerging in the broader society. So you have these mm-hmm. young radicals who go into these into cities uh, who, and uh, who believe that liberalism uh, is too uh, timid, uh, that its emphasis on slow, gradual change was simply not going to be enough to deal with these um, these horrible uh, conditions uh, in urban areas, and they called for some kind of they wanted some form of redistribution some. Uh, some suggestions and, and ideas that would go far beyond what liberalism would accept. And within the, among the commissioners themselves, you have the liberals like uh, John Lindsay, who's the Republican mayor from New York, uh, Senator Fred Harris from Oklahoma, who were pushing sort of the limits of liberalism. And then you had conservatives on the commission, one guy, Tex Thornton in particular, who believes that riots, the, the way to deal with riots is as a law enforcement issue. So with Lindsay and Harris are saying is what we need to do is recognize the underlying causes of uh, riots, which is poverty, inequality, mm-hmm. lack of opportunity, unresponsive institutions. And for Tex Thornton, it's all about um, it's about law and order. So, so it's so within the commission itself, you see these fault lines that are emerging in the broader society. And secondly, um, you know, the um, Lyndon Johnson creates the commission in the hopes that it would sustain his coalition and sustain his great society agenda and instead it just it does just the opposite it uh, it makes clear that johnson's great society program was simply not uh really it was just not uh doing enough to help these urban areas and the last point i'll make is that this is this take comes out in march of 1968 the sort of the tectonic plates of American politics are shifting. And uh, you have the emergence of conservative populism. And what Richard Nixon does is he sees the report as a way of um, appealing to angry um, white Americans who believe that Democrats are soft on law and order, uh, that the report uh, rewards the rioters for their actions but criticizes the police, and that rhetoric of conservative populism that Nixon articulates in 1968 really becomes the foundation of the Republican Party and and the modern conservative coalition. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's uh, in the book. It's really clear that when this this group of commissioners comes together, the expectations from the White House are quite different from where they end up. Sort of walk us through that that process. How did they come to this conclusion that, uh, as they put it, white racism was at the core of some of these problems that led to these rebellions in, in 1967? So you have to understand, these are 11 mainstream commissioners. And you know, as I mentioned, they range from uh, liberals to, uh, to some conservatives. And um, I think what the, the really the... the thing that changes all their perspectives is they, the commissioners themselves, go on tours of some of these cities, and they meet with local officials themselves, and they walk through some of the areas that have been impacted by riots, and they're simply shocked by what they see and what they hear and what they learn. Other than Roy Wilkins and John Lindsay, most of these commissioners have never really had much exposure to conditions in, in, in urban areas, so... 
Um, so they felt they needed to, to do something that was bold. And the white racism, the phrase white racism, was the one thing that they could all agree on. Now, there were mm-hmm. lots of debates, of questions of, about going even further than saying it's white racism and actually pointing figure, uh, fingers at particular institutions. But the one phrase they could all agree on was white racism. And this is not what Johnson wanted to hear. You have to realize that Johnson put this commission together. It was all about politics. He was under pressure from conservatives, from the Republicans. They were attacking him for... They were actually saying that the Great Society had uh, created these riots because it uh, created expectations uh, that could not be fulfilled. And Johnson felt he needed to do something in the summer of 1968. So he sets up this commission, packs it with people who... uh, Everyone on the commission... Uh, had supported his civil rights legislation and had not spoken out against the Vietnam War, so he felt they were fairly well within his um, his coalition. Um, and his he just wanted to kick the can down the road. He expected this commission to rubber stamp his Great Society programs and provide him with some uh, ammunition to go to Congress and 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 continue funding for his existing programs. But but these commissioners went off on their own came to realize that the Great Society was really not doing enough. So they issued this bold report where they, you know, very stark language, as you mentioned, talk about America becoming two societies, one black, one white, separate, unequal. And they blame white racism, which was for 11 mainstream commissioners to issue a government report that blames white racism in 1968. It's pretty bold. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Stephen Gillen. He's a history professor at the University of Oklahoma with an expertise in American history and politics. He's the author of a book called Separate and Unequal, The Kerner Commission and the Unraveling of American Liberalism. We're talking about the Kerner Commission, which is 50 years old uh, this year. We're talking about the inner workings of that commission, how it came to the conclusions that it presented to President Lyndon Johnson and what has happened since. Uh, Sweeping recommendations in that report about things that needed to be done to prevent the events of 1967, for instance, from happening again. And uh, a lot of uh, responsibility for those things laid at the feet of what the commission called white racism. They called out the separate and unequal society that existed at that time and said if we didn't act, uh, it would continue. And those kinds of rebellions, uprisings, would happen again in the future. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Tell us what you think of what has happened in the 50 years since the Kerner Commission um, uh, issued its report. Do you think we're still as separate and unequal now as we were then? And if so, what should we be doing about that? What should we be doing to address the inequalities that you see around us in America, especially the here in Southeast Michigan? Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, Stephen Gillen, I want to ask you that question. Uh, My understanding is that you were inspired to write this book after watching news reports from Ferguson, Missouri, uh, where Michael Brown, an African-American man, was shot 
by a white police officer. I think uh, that alone sort of frames this as uh, a continuum of discussion in this country as opposed to before and after or uh, pre and 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 change. The, the idea that uh, something you saw in modern times uh, inspired you to look back to 1967 or, or 68. That's right. I was sitting, I remember it so well, I was sitting on my sofa. I wanted to write a book that dealt with 1968, and I'm sitting on my sofa surrounded by books, and I'm looking up at my TV, and there's all these images of Ferguson. And, uh, of course, I, I, I'm a, having taught modern history, I knew about the Kerner Commission and knew what its recommendations were, and I just assumed someone had written a book about it. And I got online, I realized there was no book, and I was, I was off to the races. And you're right, I was inspired. I, I, the question I had is, is exactly the question that you just asked, how much have things changed uh, in the 50 years since the Kerner Commission? And I, what, I, what I am left with is, is uh, it's impossible to deny the progress that's been made um, in the 50 years. I mean, there's been, especially among educated Americans, a softening of racial attitudes, there has been the emergence of a thriving uh, African-American middle class. Um, so uh, we've elected an African-American president. African-Americans are still underrepresented, but better represented in various institutions. So I think that progress is, is notable. But I believe that for, for those people who are left behind in many of these decaying urban areas, whether it be in Newark or Detroit, uh, that they are worse off. They're more separate and more unequal than they were 50 years ago. And part of the problem is that, is that I think one of the, the comments, one of the, the phrases in the, um, in the Kerner Commission that gets overlooked is they say that what is necessary is the nation needs to have the political will to deal with these issues. And I think one of the reasons why things are so bad is that, that political will has completely evaporated, um, certainly where we are today. And and so my remedy for this, I don't have a particular policy recommendation, but what has to happen is people have to go out and vote. The people who believe there's inequality, people who believe that racism is still an important factor in our lives today, uh, they need to go out and vote and elect people uh, who, um, who are sympathetic to their point of view and have a commitment to dealing with these issues. And, and until that happens we are going to be in the dark place we are now. Well, one of the things that, that uh, strikes me about what you're talking about there, and, and let's go back to Ferguson and, and Michael Brown, for instance, is that the dialogue now is, is sort of, I guess, salted with uh, a cynicism about the idea that race still matters, right? Uh, so, so Michael Brown... Uh, is killed in in Ferguson, and African Americans uh, are upset by that, and they demonstrate. But the response overwhelmingly is uh, is is negative uh, from from much of of the country to that. And and I think this gets to some of what uh, you're ex- excavating in in terms of the the Kerner Commission. Uh, this this change, this uh, political shift that that has already begun by the time the commission issues its report, and I, I think that shift live with, lives with us today as well. In other words, it's harder 
than it might have been even 50 years ago to talk about race and the effect that it has on American life. I agree with you. And I think and, uh, you know, what has happened is uh, beginning in the 60s, because of the rise in crime and because of uh, urban unrest, uh, the Republican Party um, uh, found that one of the ways to build a coalition to undermine the New Deal coalition was to stoke white resentment uh, toward African Americans. And that's, you know, in many ways, Donald Trump was an unusual candidate, but in, in the fundamentals of his campaign, it was this continuation of the past 50 years of uh, for, for focusing white resentment at African Americans and not at other uh, institutional causes for, for inequality. And I you know, I, I agree with you. I think the debate these days has become, like everything else, deeply polarized. And I, I believe that you know, the, the polls show that the vast majority of Americans still believe that race is important. Uh, the problem is there's a difference between what the public believes and what uh, ideas are institutionalized in power. And that's the disconnect that I think that, uh, that we need to address. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Again, on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number. Uh, tell us what you think about how we are still separate and unequal, or do you think things are better than they were in 1968 when the Kerner Commission issued its report? Uh, tell us if you have faith that our leaders are willing to take on these issues of inequality uh, in modern society. Do you see anyone who is pushing us toward a discussion of these issues that would lead toward solutions, that would lead toward the change that the Kerner Commission said was necessary 50 years ago to avoid the kinds of uprisings we saw in 1967. Think of the things that we see around us today in places like Ferguson, Missouri, or Baltimore, Maryland, uh, where African Americans still feel as though the streets are the place uh, that they can get across their point about inequality. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Stephen, I want to ask you that question as well. Who do you see uh, as the, the the kind of personality? Let's, let's compare people, for instance, to, to Lyndon Johnson, who I think in your book comes across uh, very much uh, as a creature of the insecurities and paranoias that we now know uh, just just hounded him for, for, for most of his, uh, his political life. Uh, is there somebody now who seems uh, suited to or inclined to deal with these things in a more sophisticated way? That's a tough question. I don't, I, I, there's <laughs> no one that I know of, and, and um, that may, be, may just be because of my ignorance, and I, I sort of tuned out politics since Election Day. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I think a lot I, of people uh, have. I'm not aware of, of figures now. I think the, you know, what, we, what has to happen, first of all, before we find the personality we need to um, establish the foundation uh, for uh, that this whoever this person is um, can uh, can deal with these issues. So we need to people who care about these issues need to mobilize. Uh, they need to start changing the conversation in America. And mm-hmm. uh, and you know if if every every person every president for example 
who gets elected, who is able to enact significant change, does so in response to some sense of crisis. Roosevelt had the Great Depression. Um, uh, Johnson inherited the, 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 the Civil Rights Movement in the South. Even Reagan, you know, uh, have from, had, a, had the crisis of the late 1970s to, to, uh, to form his, con- his conservative coalition. So I think what we need to do is, is recognize the urgency uh, of these issues and, mm-hmm. and then create a foundation so that someone can come up and mobilize these people and lead us. But I don't know who that person is. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the phones. Uh, Nora in Detroit. Nora, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, thank you. Um, Uh So I just wanted to say that I think when we're looking at Michigan's upcoming governor's race, um, one of the only people is Abdul Al-Sayed. And I think it really is embedded in his public health background um, because there is hard research, there's numbers, and I guess, you know, people like numbers. Um, Mm -hmm. So it makes sense (laughs) that, you know, when there's research, backing the fact that there's systematic oppression in almost every single public aspect that we live through without i mean the general public's not going to notice unless you're really really invested in that type of academia but um yeah that's really it there's yeah that's really the difference I, Nora, I think that's a really interesting that's a really interesting point. And as you point out, that Abdul El Sayed is talking about these issues uh, and talking about them pretty frankly. I guess my question for you would be: How do you get? Uh, I mean, if you look at the polls, if you look at the support for various gubernatorial candidates, he's he's having a hard time. Uh, getting traction, and I think that that again goes to this uh, this question of how ready the public is to talk about how ready uh, our our political dialogue is. I guess to to shift to that kind of thing. Uh, Nor I wonder if you have thoughts about uh, the response uh, so far to Abdul Al Sayed as a candidate. You still there, Nora? Kind of shocking. Um, Go ahead. And because we're not used to it. So when we start having these discussions about racism and about the things that we thought were things of the past, but they're actually not. And they're still, you know, they're just simply overlooked because we're so used to it. Um, Mm -hmm. That's once that keeps rolling and we have that type of platform, that's when minorities like like me can, you know, step up into office and actually openly speak on these things that affect us. Um, and the people around us. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I okay, Nora, I appreciate I appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Okay, Stephen Gillen, history professor at University of Oklahoma with an expertise in American history and politics, author of Separate and Unequal, The Kerner Commission and the Unraveling of American Liberalism. Thanks very much for being with us. On Thanks, Stephen. I really enjoyed the conversation. Up next, we're going to talk about some surprising numbers that come out of Oakland University. Also, don't forget, if you miss any of today's conversation, you don't have to miss out on Detroit Today. You can always go to iTunes or wherever it is you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. Detroit Today.